Isaiah 53 and verse 10. The Word of God says yes, this. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When I first read that, it was in a translation. I think it was New King James. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. That God received joy. Like, lean into that for a minute. That God the Father would receive joy and glory and honor as a result of the death of his son. That's not the sign of a sadomasochistic God who loves pain and loves suffering. It's actually quite the opposite. It's a reminder to us of how gracious and how kind and how loving the Lord is that it would please him to bruise his son for sinners like you and like me because he knew what would be gained as a result of this. Flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. See, as Jesus hung on the cross, we have seven sayings that are recorded in the scriptures, which we're not going to look at today. But one of the things he said, maybe one of the most impactful, powerful things, is when Jesus, from the cross, said, it is finished. Meaning, it has been paid in full. That the wrath of God had been poured out upon Christ in such a way that he knew that the atonement for, 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 for sinners like you and me had been paid in full. And Jesus cries out with a loud voice, it is finished. And we know that Jesus Christ bore the wrath that was headed for us and that that was a satisfactory atonement for our sins. But at the end of the day, at the end of Good Friday, Jesus is still dead. So there's this paradox, if you will, of emotions where we are unbelievably grateful as we look back upon what was accomplished by Christ on the, by Christ on the cross, by his substitutionary atonement for us. But at the end of Good Friday, he is still dead. He's taken off of a cross. He's buried in a tomb because he is still dead. I want to switch gears uh, for a moment and take you back to uh, December of 1982. And there are two things that stand out to me uh, about December of 1982. I realize many of you weren't alive in December of 1982, but many of us were. And I was rather young at the time. I was just about four. I was about one month shy of being four. But I can remember two things very distinctly. First of all, our family was moving, and it was a big move. It was from apartment 4J to 6F. We moved from a two-bedroom apartment in uh, our apartment building to a three-bedroom apartment because my sister was born six months prior to that. And I vividly remember uh, me helping us move, and I helped us move by carrying my Winnie the Pooh lamp. I had a Winnie the Pooh lamp. Say aw. Thank you. So it's, it's Easter. All right, so I had a Winnie the Pooh lamp, and I remember carrying it across like, we had to go, you have to take the elevator down, you have to walk through the basement. It's hard to explain. There's a basement level. You walk through the basement by the laundry room, by the storage room. Then you take the elevator up to the other side of the building to the sixth floor. And I remember, like, walking. If you remember that final scene in E.T. when he's walking with the plant? 
That's what I kind of look like as I was walking like super proud into our new apartment with the one, one item that I was able to help to bring into our new apartment. That's one thing I remember about December of 1982. And the other thing that I can remember about December of 1982 is this, Mr. Hooper died. How many of you have any idea what I'm talking about? So there's like four of us who watched Sesame Street growing up. Raise your hand if you watched Sesame Street growing up. Okay. Now, you don't remember Mr. Hooper? Mr. Hooper was the person who ran the store on the, on, on the corner. So there was, there, was, there was Big Bird's Nest. There was, there was the, the I'm from New York. I basically grew up on Sesame Street. There was Big Bird's Nest. There was Oscar the Grouch. Then there's when, uh, then there's the, the walk up that said 123. I'm facing it, if you can't tell. It says 123. And Gordon and Susan lived there. And Olivia lived there. And in the basement apartment, Bert and Ernie lived there. Then there was the little playground area with the basket that we assume was used for basketball, but has never, ever been in any episode used. And then there's the store. And Mr. Hooper ran that store. And then next to that was the fix-it shop that Luis and Maria. Do any of you know what I'm talking about? Is this making, am I resonating? Okay, good. So, and then that store was Hooper's store. And, and, and Bert went in there and bought paperclips for his paperclip collection. And Ernie went in there and bought a soap dish for his rubber ducky. And, 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 and Big Bird would go in there and get birdseed milkshakes. Anyway, it was, a, it was a store. It was a storm. Mr. Hooper died in December of 1982. Now, it's not just the, like their way of like killing him off the show. He like legit died. He had a heart attack and he died. Um, Will Lee was his name. So now this children's show, Sesame Street, that I know and love, faced a dilemma, and that was how, pray tell, do we communicate this to the children? How do we, like all of a sudden, Mr. Hooper's just not there? Like he's just gone away? That's not going to work. Like did he retire? Did he, like is Mr. Hooper's in Florida? Like, like, like how do we communicate this to the kids? And basically Sesame Street had to think through how do we communicate death in a way that is both age-appropriate and, quite frankly, godless, right? Because they didn't want to come, come at it from a spiritual, religious perspective, but they wanted to communicate the fact that Big Bird, uh, not Big Bird, he's alive, he's well, he's big, that, that Mr. Hooper had died. So they wrestled with it and came up with a bunch of different thoughts as to how they can maybe do this. And here's where they landed, because the, the episode actually aired 11 months later. They had this episode and Big Bird had done drawings of all of his friends on Sesame Street, and he came out to distribute them, and he distributes them one by one, and then he wants to distribute it to Mr. Hooper, and lo and behold, he can't give it to Mr. Hooper because Mr. Hooper is dead. By that time, 11 months, but that, you didn't know that in the episode. So Mr. Hooper had died, and they had to then remind Big Bird that Mr. Hooper died. Oh, yeah, he died. Does that mean he's not coming back? Yes, that means he's not coming back ever, and they have this whole dialogue and this whole, this whole discussion and um, all of a sudden, Big Bird just says, why? Why? Why can't he come back? I think there's a part in the episode where he says something like, give me one reason, one good reason why he can't come back, why this is, why this is so. And Gordon, Gordon, taller than me, same haircut, Gordon, comes up to me and goes, Big Bird? Just because. Big Bird goes, just because? He says, just 
because. And that's basically it. Like that's, that's literally it. And then there's some tears and they all gather around Big Bird and the camera fades back and it cuts to black. That's the best they can do. But it's no surprise that that wouldn't leave somebody feeling satisfied with a question about death. I'm not satisfied with just because for many questions that are far less important. I don't know about you. Just because has never sat well with me. Some, some people do really well. Okay, I guess I'll just find out later. Just because meant ask someone else. Just because meant look it up yourself. Just because meant, meant there was an answer that someone either didn't know or didn't want to tell me. And just because doesn't satisfy curiosity, especially curiosity that has to do with eternity and death. And that's not because we're just so curious, we're such curious human beings. It's because it's how God wired us. If you were to look back at the creation account in Genesis 1 and 2, there is no place for death in God's original creation of mankind. God designed us to have eternal fellowship with him, uninterrupted communion with him, constant fellowship, constant worship, and all of that fell by the wayside because of sin. But that doesn't change the fact that we were still, I think as Paul Tripp says, hardwired for eternity. And that's why, and I've said this before, I'll say it again, that's why even when you see death coming, it catches you by surprise. Even, even when you know that death is imminent for an individual, and you know, any day now, any day now, any day now, when somebody says it happened, you gasp. Why? It's not because you didn't see it coming, you did. But we're hardwired for eternity. It doesn't feel right. It never feels right. Even when it's good and we know they're in a better place, it still doesn't feel right. Because at the end of the day, that's not how we were created to be. It goes against how we are wired. Therefore, death is always a a startling interruption to us because it goes against our grain, against how God originally intended us to be, which is why we gasp. So we're here today on Easter to celebrate the fact that God's word can give us so much more than just because. That we can look at God's word in 1 Corinthians 15 and elsewhere and understand the hope that comes with salvation and the hope that comes with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. So take a look if you have a Bible at 1 Corinthians 15 and listen to the word of God. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 1 Paul says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. Now look at verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. 
Friends, the word of God takes away the wondering and the mystery as to what happened to Christ after he died. The word of God totally takes that away. There's no just because when it comes to God. There's no just because when it comes to God's word. Verse 3 says he died. Verse 4 says he was buried and he was raised on the third day. But do you notice what is in 5, 6, and 7? In 5, 6, and 7, Paul goes to great lengths to talk about Jesus' resurrection. Now, he just says in verse 3 that he died. He doesn't need to go to great lengths to prove that he died. Why? Because people dying is not terribly uncommon. The death rate is one apiece. So he just says Jesus Christ died. And then he says that Jesus was buried. Why doesn't he say, and here's where he was buried, and let me prove that he was buried, because people bury dead people. This is not something that somebody would have doubted, right? Jesus died, he was buried, and then it says in verse 4, and he was raised on the third day. And then for the next three verses, he goes on to say, and here's who saw him. He appeared to Cephas, then the twelve. Then 500, most of whom are still alive. In other words, most of whom, you can, if you find one, you can ask them. They'll testify to this. Like this is something that's hard to forget, that they saw the living Christ after he died. 500, and then to James, and then all the apostles, and then to me. There's no Jesus isn't coming back. There's no he's just dead, and that's it. And there's certainly no just because. There's a death, a burial, and a resurrection, and then additional information to authenticate the truth that Jesus, although once dead, is in fact alive. It's like he says, seriously, you guys, Jesus is alive. And then again, look at verse 20, 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Paul speaks about it as a fact. In verse 20 he says, but in fact Christ has been raised from the dead. But he not just speaks about it as a fact, but then he moves on to apply it to people like you and me. He says, this is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. In other words, what we're seeing Jesus do Those who have fallen asleep in Christ, those who have died in Christ, those who believe in Jesus, they will do the same thing. In other words, they will die, but death will only be a means of moving from this life to the next. There is no death for those of us who believe in Christ. Our earthly bodies may die, but there is no eternal death for those of us who believe in Jesus Christ. Verse 21 says, For as by a man came death, that man being Adam, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead, that man being Jesus Christ. You have to understand what this means. This isn't just a, a philosophical point to be discussed and debated as we kind of rub our chins and gaze at our navels and like waft something and hold it in a glass and speak like we're all academic and really smart. This has real bearing on people like you and like me. This isn't just a fun fact. This is certainly not trivia. This is literally life and death. Jesus, by rising from the dead, reverses the curse. Jesus, by rising from the dead, has victory over that which is ultimate to the, the, the ultimate uh, enemy to us is death, and Jesus has victory even over that. That even when death 
seems to have grabbed hold of Christ our Savior, he comes out victorious and up from the grave he arose, as the hymn says. Jesus died on the cross paying for my sins, but when Jesus rose from the grave, this was the death of death. Look at verse 27. 1 Corinthians 15, 27, for God has put all things in subjection under his feet. How many things? All things. This includes death. All things in subjection underneath our Lord and Savior's feet. I mentioned that hymn. Let me just read to you the lyrics of that hymn. Low in the grave he lay, Jesus my Savior, waiting the coming day, Jesus my Lord. Vainly they watch his bed, Jesus my Savior. Vainly they seal the dead, Jesus my Lord. Death cannot keep his prey, Jesus my Savior. He tore the bars away, Jesus my My Lord, up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph o'er his foes. He arose a victor from the dark domain and he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose, he arose, hallelujah, Christ arose. This is the death of death. This is what we mean when we say, uh, when, when we read in, in verse, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 55, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? This is the hope that we see in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51, where Paul says, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. Friends, those of us who love Jesus Christ, when we die, don't die. We just pass on. We move from this life to the next. And that's why we have the hope that we have. This really is what it's all about. Do you get that? This is what it's all about, that if we don't have this, what good is anything else that we do in our life as followers of Christ? If we don't have hope over death, we all end up in the exact same place that every other lost person goes. This is what it's all about. This is what it all comes down to. This is it. Death is swallowed up in victory. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The victory only comes through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not from my best efforts, not by my fresh start, my new resolutions, my new steps, not from my good deeds, not from me, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. It's from Christ. And for those of us who know and love our Savior, Jesus Christ, 
We celebrate this day perhaps like none other as we look back upon what our Savior has done for us in dying, in being buried, and then rising victoriously. What about you? Do you have that hope? Do you have that joy of having a risen Savior? Not a great role model, not someone just to look to like another historical figure, this is a really good guy. I'm talking about someone who defeated the one thing that most people fear most, and that is death. I was reading earlier this week as I prepared the Hebrew word that's used for, for covered, or depending on what your translation mind would say, covered uh, in the Psalms about our sins being covered, sometimes is the same Hebrew word that's used to describe the Red Sea covering the Egyptians. Think about that for a moment. So that same word that would be used, or that same term to describe what the Red Sea did, what God did with the Red Sea by causing it to come down over the Egyptians, that same word sometimes is used to depict the covering that we have of our sins. That God just wipes it out, that he obliterates it, that there's no trace, and that when it's done, when all is said and done, there's a calm as if there never was sin. Just obliterates the sinful record that I have, and that I've been hardwired for eternity, created in God's image, created for communion with him, but can't have that because of my sinful nature. But God, in Christ Jesus, because of the price that he paid on the cross, has just wiped out, just obliterated, just totally covered every sin that I've ever committed. And if I put my faith and trust in him, if I leave all my good deeds aside, all my best efforts aside, I don't start counting up to make sure my good outweighs my bad, that if I put all my trust in him and in that washing away of sin, I can be saved and be restored to the purpose for which I was originally created, and that's to have the eternal communion with Christ. That hope is available to you today. For those of us who have it, that's why we sing. That's why we have joy. That's why we hug each other on Easter Sunday. That's why we say, he is risen, and we say, he is risen indeed. There's a joy in us that's not just, it's not just hype. It's the, the joy that comes when I look at my, uh, a brother texted me this morning, he is risen. And I was trying to listen to music, and I texted him back, so I'm trying to listen to music. He's risen indeed. Goodbye. And, but that joy, that's not just hype. He's excited because he's not going to die. I'm really excited because I'm not going to die. And the song I was listening to reminded me of that too. But I'm, this is not just, oh, we're a bunch of happy Christians. Yeah, I'm not going to die. That's worth being excited over. And that's the hope that can come to you today. Today. If you lack it, you can have it today. Not by, you don't have to shake my hand, give me a hug. You don't have to text me. You don't have to listen to my music. But you can look to Christ and say, I believe. I believe you died for my sins. I believe you rose from the grave. 
I'm going to turn away from my sin. I'm going to be faithful to God. I'm going to do my best not to get into heaven, but do my best to please my Savior who already paid my way into heaven. That's the good news of the gospel. We call our worship team forward. Let me read to you from the book of Micah, chapter 7, beginning in verse 18. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He he does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. And that's just as true for us today as it is for the people who originally wrote these, uh, read these words. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. And here's that picture again. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. What about you? On this Easter Sunday, full of hopefully tradition and good things with friends and family, have you experienced the compassion of Christ and the joy, the unspeakable joy that comes with knowing we have a risen Savior and even though we're going to die, we're kind of not going to die. We're just going to move. Father, I pray that you would stir hearts. Lord, I pray that you would call your people to yourself. For those who know you and love you, Lord, do a great work of, of causing us to rejoice in you, to not be tired of truth, but to look at it anew and afresh again, because you have defeated death. Herein lies the death of death. And Lord, for those who know you not, would you draw people unto yourself this day? Lord, cause people to have a drastically different view of Easter now than they did when they woke up this morning as they realize that you, Christ, are risen indeed, seated at the right hand of the Father, ruling, reigning, saving, loving, and coming again. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.